Welcome to the Situation Room. Hey everybody, welcome into week two of the Situation Room. I'm here with my co-host Gabe Ferguson. You guys can find him on Twitter at Gabe Fergie. I'm Jordan Coe. You can find me at Raven Sit Room. And uh, here we are, Gabe, at the end of week two. And if you want to ask me what I thought was going to happen in this game midway through the third quarter, I certainly would have told you something stupid based on what ended up happening. I think we all felt the same way. I was watching this game in a bar um, with a lot of non-Ravens fans around, and it was kind of like, what on earth just happened? Like, it was, and it, it was one of the games that was like, a lot of people were watching, because pretty much everything else was not interesting at that point, and it was just like shocking to see this game turn around the way it did. Um, pro- probably the worst collapse I think this Ravens team has ever had, at least in terms of like, being up, you know, through three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and not being able to come out with a win. That's something that we've never really seen. Um, and it's, it was painful. It was, it hurt to watch this game unfold this way. Yeah. That's the exact message I sent you after the game. I was like, was this the worst loss the Ravens have ever had ever? And there have been some like doozies. There was a really bad Seattle game. There was a really bad Jaguars game where they just played like trash the entirety of the game. And that's why they lost. But this one, um, you know, this one stung from that regard. But, you know, before we jump into the game itself, I think the best place to start is just remembering a little bit about how the NFL works and how the NFL season works and what the history of that really means. And I tweeted something out today about weeks three and four of the 2019 season where the Ravens, during those two games, allowed 73 points. Um, and it sure as heck seemed like all was lost after the Cleveland game because that was also a home loss, right? And that one was a really big doozy because I think kind of in similar fashion, it was expected that Chubb and Kareem Hunt, were gonna they were going to try and shove the ball down their throats. They were going to run the ball, and they had to stop them, and the Ravens just could not get it done in that regard, and they just got run all over them. Um but the thing to remember on the other side of that is that the Ravens proceeded to win the next 12 games um, and go undefeated for the remainder of the season. But I think even more telling was that the defense over the remainder of those 12 games allowed 15.17 points per game, more than half, less than half of what they did over those two games. So bad sample sizes exist, bad games exist. Stuff like this can definitely happen. It hasn't happened in, what, 711, I think, straight games with teams with a 21-point lead. But that doesn't mean that the probability is ever zero in those circumstances that stuff like this can happen, and it does. Yeah, and just to add on to that point, this this is not only is this week two of a 17-game season, but it's week two of a a season where we had basically no preseason. Like, the Ravens played no starters throughout the preseason. There have been a lot of kind of changes to this roster in terms of injuries, people coming in, people coming out. Um, we saw a lot of players who haven't played very much on the, on the field in this game, especially on the defensive side. And I think, you know, over the course of the season, as players get, you know, more reps, get more familiar with the scheme, also the second game ever coordinated by Mike McDonald in the NFL, um, you know, I think we came away impressed after the week one game. There were some, you know, conditions that were poor in that one, you know, going up against maybe a lesser quarterback. Um, not not that I think Tua is one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. I think the Ravens made him look a lot better than he, than he is necessarily. But um, this is the kind of performance that you want to learn lessons from and, and put behind you and, and figure out how are we going to, you know, evolve this defense so that we don't, if we see this team again, or if we see another team that has similar kind of skilled players, how are we going to attack them differently? And how are we going to make sure this doesn't happen again? Well, and you know, when we were talking about the 2019 season and what, what happened in that year, you know, it was like, Oh, well the Ravens added Josh Bynes and the Ravens added Marcus Peters. And there were some significant additions in terms of what the Ravens can added from a contributor standpoint. And if you look at the list of inactive guys that didn't play in this game, J.K. Dobbins, Ronnie Stanley, um, Nick Boyle, Travis Jones. You're talking about guys that were who were the, I, and I can't remember the two others, but they were would have been contributors. Um, Brandon Stevens, no, James yeah, Perche, Brandon Stevens, James Perche, and Brandon Stevens, yeah. 
So other than James Prochet, because and only only because the Ravens wide receivers are healthy, and I think that there's not a huge role for him. You're talking about five different guys that would have all had a significant impact, I think, um, in this game overall, and that does not include Ajabo and Bowser and Gus Edwards, who all sit on um, either the pup or the NFI list. And so, or I guess they're all, on, I guess they're all on some, or Ajabo's on the IR because of yeah. um, whatever that contract ruling was. But that's that's eight guys. Those eight guys could be the core of a mediocre to bad football team in the NFL, right? And you add those on top of a team that is already functioning. And there's a lot of hope there if those guys can come back and they can be contributors for this team. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to like, try and just be like overly optimistic about this, but it, I mean, the Ravens are 1-1. They're still tied for the, the division lead because thankfully the Bengals have been way worse than the Ravens this year. So, I mean... It, Getting this, this this loss is is awful. It's a game you absolutely should have won. There's really no excuse to let it get to where it was, but you know it's not the end of the season, and I think that's something we have to remember. There's a lot of changes that can be made from personnel, from coaching, from scheme, and I think we should expect things to improve from that side. Um, and even though this game was horrible, a large reason why it was horrible is because the Ravens were up so big that it seemed ter- like unbelievable that they could actually lose this game and that means that there were some things that the Ravens were doing very well in this game and that's that has to be remembered and that, that's something that you know I think if you're a Ravens coach you're going to hammer that as well and while there are things that they need to improve on and we'll touch on those things in a major way you have to also build on those things that were working really well and if we go back to earlier in this week I don't know how much you were listening to like kind of like the general like talking heads around the NFL chatter most of it was about how bad the Ravens played in Miami last year and how terrible they were against the cover zero blitz. They had no answer for it. They were awful. It was the most embarrassing game the Ravens had played on you know, Thursday night football in who knows how long. It was, it was a horrible game. In some ways, this game ended up being worse, but they fixed a lot of the things that screwed them up last year. So that has to be acknowledged as well. And I think it's important to remember that while they may have been terrible on, on defense, there are multitude of reasons why that happened, but on offense, at least you know, with, with passing the ball, they were as good a team as we've seen passing the season. Basically, I mean, they're up there with the best in terms of passing efficiency. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, let's let's come back to that so we can end on and and not so angry note. And let's just talk about some of the things that we saw in this game that you know. Were super challenging, you know, overall, and and you know we can talk about we can talk about the corner play, and I think we need to talk a little bit about what those coverages look like and why they were. Uh, the problem is that they were just so abundantly clear about what went wrong in those plays that they're easy to fix. I think one of the areas that was a little bit more under the radar was how poorly the inside linebackers played in terms of coverage in this game. Um, we have we we have we've talked in the past about how it felt like teams were trying to isolate and attack Queen in the passing game. We've seen that before in the Chiefs game. There was a really interesting tidbit that I heard on tonight's um, Titans Bills game, and basically the players through Leslie Frazier, like Leslie Frazier, has coached them up to understand the weaknesses that the opposing teams are going to try and attack and help to those areas to be aware that that that's where opposing matchups and quarterbacks are always looking and it feels like the ravens don't ever do that right patrick queen was abused again in this game sideline to sideline a lot of times in the passing game or in those wide runs in terms of what he was asked to defend um and we've seen him not be successful in that and quite frankly he didn't get a lot of help um you know and, and if you know that's a weakness of a player and you're going to ask him to be on the field for every single down when that's what you're doing, you've got to make some kind of adjustment either to get him out of the game, if that's what you're getting from him, or to bail him out in terms of coverage, even though you're making it look like teams have isolated him, but but at least giving him some kind of help. Yeah, I, I think that there, there's two issues there, and, and you and you mentioned both of them. One is Patrick Queen is, isn't meant to probably be an excellent coverage guy in, in any kind of, in the modern NFL. He just doesn't have you know, the quickness, the, it's some of it's probably, you know, being able to identify what's thrown at him, but I think it's, it's more just like not having the, the right, right skill set. And a lot of NFL linebackers don't have that skill set. That, that's an okay thing to have, but you can't be put in a position where you're going to be attacked. And that's a coaching thing. And, and that's, 
the reason why, you know, we saw last year, Patrick Green actually came off the field in a lot of, like, what you consider the, like, a dime package when they have six defensive backs. They would bring in Chris Board, um, and he would be the linebacker in those packages. This year, um, through two games, we've seen Patrick Queen stay on the, the field for every single snap. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, the Ravens have a plethora of inside linebackers. And they, they must not think that they're a linebacker that's better at, on, at coverage than Patrick Queen, which, you know, is a sad state of the Ravens linebacking core, if that's the case. But if that is the case, then you have to figure out how to use, you know, your defensive backs or something to try and make up for that. And even if that leaves you vulnerable against the run, um, I think you have to make that trade-off because the Ravens are basically getting gashed both ways in this game, in the passing game, whether it was it was over the top, you know, those long completions to Hill, but it was also kind of the middle of the field and, and, and to, like, the short areas on the, on, the, on the flats. You know, no matter how the Ravens tried to kind of scheme up on defense, the, the Dolphins kind of had the answer to it. Um, and, you know, if not for a couple of interceptions by Tua, the Dolphins could have scored a lot more points in this game potentially because the Ravens had a tough time getting them off the field they were um seven or the Dolphins were seven for 11 on, on third down um which is a really really bad bad percentage for a defense and this was a Ravens defense that was two for 14 on third down last week so I don't know what it is that you know Mike McDaniel the the Miami Dolphins coach identified in the Ravens defense but he found some soft spots um, when they were playing zone and he was just able to attack it over and over and over again I think they, they used personnel well, and it was just there was no answer from the Ravens. There was no adjustment that was made, um, and, and that kind of led to this constant onslaught in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter when they just couldn't seem to stop the Dolphins at all. Well, I think one of the potential answers to that is Chuck Clark, right, and the ability to bring Chuck Clark down into the box in those situations, and then you just sub Geno Stone in, and you still have three guys that can play in those deep safety positions. But I, I also think Geno Stone might end up walking away with some of Kyle Hamilton snaps at the end of this game, especially when he needs to be like that deep cover safety guy. Hamilton looked like, I thought Hamilton played well when he needs to match up, being like a man, like either in a zone, but that was matching up into a man and playing underneath what that defender looked like. But when he needed to play over the top and understand what his role was within the broader defense, it just seemed like he wasn't quite there yet. And that's okay. And he's a rookie and there wasn't a lot of time in the preseason, as you mentioned, for them to get him up to speed on this. So that's fine. But you've got a guy on the roster, Gino Stone, that gets exactly that, understands how deep coverage works, is a tremendous, maybe not a tremendous, but a very good or certainly above average center fielder in that perspective. And Chuck Clark is going to give you better depth and better understanding and better awareness than Patrick Queen's going to give you in the middle. So to me... It doesn't, you know, it, it's hard for me to see why that isn't the adjustment that the Ravens make here moving forward. And, and quite frankly, you know, maybe it is. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, and, and maybe this is just like a week-to-week thing because I feel, I mean, I haven't watched the All-22 for this for this game yet. It's not out. I'm really interested to see exactly what the Ravens are doing in coverage because it seemed like they were in a man almost not at all, like almost non-existent. It seemed like almost entirely co- like zones and mostly like soft zones, like, if you if you watch them last week against the Jets, they played a lot of like match like zone match concepts where they where you kind of like you're playing a zone but you're actually in that zone matching to the player and not giving them this like open area to sit down. Um, and in this game, I don't know if it's because there was not much respect for the quarterback or if it was because they're trying to be just conservative and you know kind of rallying to the ball and hoping that you can keep all the speed contained in front of you and kind of allowing the Dolphins to kind of complete the underneath stuff and saying, okay, we're just not going to let you throw it over top. Um, but whatever it was, it, it didn't work. I mean, there were a couple of drives where, where it worked, but, um, and, and like you said, there may have been some communication issues as well. Like Hamilton, I thought, played very well when he was coming downhill. He had a couple of really nice like hits along the sideline, you know, one that jostled uh, a defender or, or a pass catcher, and he almost, it was kind of like a, close to a fumble, but it was, I guess he didn't catch it. Um, that could have been a big play. Um, but I mean, I thought he played really well in that area, but when he was like as isolated as a post safety against that first Tyreek Hill touchdown, he looked just slow in his, not only like his foot speed, but in his kind of just processing at, at that position. And he had kind of the middle of the field responsibility and Peters also got beat. And that's why it was like an easy touchdown, but Hamilton needs to be able to recognize that and kind of make a play on it as well. So 
um, that that was just like learning experience I hope for a rookie who's probably not going to be in that role too often I hope I mean he probably will be at some point but that's not going to be his main role I don't think I mean Marcus Williams should be that guy on most coverages I think and like you said maybe Geno Stone is the guy you can bring in and have Cam- Hamilton play under more underneath have him matched up on tight ends have him you know more playing like the middle of the field as opposed to the deep half so I think some of these adjustments can and should be made, especially if it means taking off the linebackers and allowing guys like Hamilton and Clark play up or closer to the line of scrimmage and be, you know, able to fill against the run, but then also be better able to, you know, drop into coverage and cover some of these more athletic wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about the secondary and, you know, the youth that was asked to play a lot of snaps in this game. I mean, Armour Davis was a guy who did not see a lot of time um on the field during the preseason was not a guy that we heard about a lot um i feel like we didn't see a lot of warley even even kind of given a bit more experience on his part i would have liked to have seen our darius washington only because he's just again like having guys that have had a little bit more experience seems like they were like it's valuable here because you know even on the armor davis touchdown where he he literally just, he just stands there and watches Tyreek Hill run by him. And I don't even think there was anybody running the route. I, I don't really understand what he was thinking on that play. But I think also there's a moment where that corner, pre-snap, has to swivel their head around and make sure that he understands where everybody is around him. And it's like, okay, maybe Kyle Hamilton has crept up under the box. He sees something there. Like, if Tyreek Hill is the only guy in my range, I'm going to have to drop back on that play. I'm going to have to make sure that, you know, whatever that looks like. And so... Um, obviously that didn't happen on that play, but I think there was just a lot of inexperience and Harbaugh in his press conference basically said the same thing. He was just like, it was a lot of miscommunication, a lot of busted routes, a lot of busted coverages. We've got to learn from this, but I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus because some of these guys were asked to do some things that we wouldn't have been asking them to do. Yeah. I mean, it's really unfortunate that, you know, Humphrey wasn't hundred percent in this game because I think the defense played a lot better when he was out there. Um, he's someone you do trust in kind of one-on-one coverage he's done that throughout his career he has the speed he has the physicality to to match up with guys like with like waddle guys like hill um and i I don't think he has them run right past him like you know jalen armor davis did or or even marcus peters who's probably not still maybe 100 percent he's still maybe shaking off a little bit of the rust um and and you know armor davis he had there was one play i thought he had really nice kind of like read he he beat a block and had a nice hit on a on a, a a wide receiver screen so like there is upside with with a guy like that and on the touchdown he gave up i'm not going to crush him because i mean he looked like he was expecting cover two like the way he was just kind of like squatting on that like he seemed like he had complete expectation of somebody like covering that behind him um and there was nobody and, and to me that was just a terrible alignment and for me i said i said this on twitter i was having a conversation with, with someone and when you look at the alignment at the line of scrimmage, you have two safeties who are right up there, like on the line of scrimmage, like uh, Marcus Williams and Kyle Hamilton are right next to each other. And one of them has to figure out, okay, this is ridiculous. We have Tyreek Hill on a one-on-one with nobody deep. Like this can't happen. And whether it's on them to either be differently aligned or if it's on the coach to recognize that mismatch and call a timeout there. That has that, that can't happen the way it played out. Like someone made a huge mistake in their pre-snap alignment, and if they didn't make a huge mistake, that's a insanely terrible play call to have everybody kind of up on the line of scrimmage with a one-on-one with your rookie cornerback lined up against the most dangerous deep threat in the NFL. That is what I would have called a fireable offense to someone like Wink Martindale, who's more experienced last year when he was putting his like rookie and one-on-one coverage on like a fourth down play i think it was against the bears i I said that about him i was like why are you making this stupid terrible call you're putting your corner at a a terrible disadvantage and expecting him to be able to make a play um one-on-one in coverage against you know much more experienced wide receiver this is the same thing but the difference being the the defensive coordinator is you know much much younger and much more novice um so i give him a maybe a pass but that's still a terrible coaching blunder in my opinion so i think that should just be kind of one of those things you say mulligan we're not going to let this happen again we're going to learn from this mistake and hopefully you know everybody involved the players the coaches they figure out how to get aligned properly they don't call things that are crazy 
in terms of like the pre-alignment, like communication is, is better. All that has to be fixed. And, and if it doesn't, then this could end up being a very long season. Well, that's what, you know, I, I referenced it earlier. It's one of the reasons why when you're thinking about it, the way the Buffalo Bills said that they approach defense, right? Which is that you've got to go to the place that you think that that's where a quarterback is going to look to throw. And so whether you're Armour Davis and you think Kyle Hamilton is behind you or not, if Tyreek Hill is running past you, maybe you want to give a little extra help to the rookie, other rookie safety that's standing behind you with the fastest guy in the league blazing by you who has torched the Ravens deep over the entirety of his entirety of every game he's ever played against the Ravens. Like maybe you want to run with him because he's really that good. And like, even if they throw, uh, you know, something into the flat underneath that somebody can come up and help. And at least, at least it's not Tyreek Hill running completely free with the ball. I'll gladly take Alec Engwald, you know, taking a dump off as opposed to Tyreek Hill running wide open or Tyreek Hill in a one-on-one against Kyle Hamilton. And so those are the kind of things that I think that the Ravens could really use like that step up and, in this game in particular, I, you know, I'm willing to give McDonald a pass to, to learn some of this. It does feel like that install of kind of that formation defensively was old school Ravens, Wink and Rex Ryan and all the like of those guys and that kind of play. Right. So like that, I think that was part of it. But to me, what do you what are the Ravens thinking at this point in the game? Like, what, what, what are you thinking? Right. Like how it, how is it that you don't have four guys that are within five yards of the end zone on any play that there are guys running 20 yards down the field in every instance? And, and the same thing on like the Kyle Hamilton play where he bites on Waddle's throw underneath it. The coaching says, don't let the other guy get above you. That if you see another guy that's going to come across your face and get behind you on that play, take that guy. We can't give up the touchdown. Let make them burn clock. Make them complete the pass in front of them. Make them work for this. Don't let them kind of get these wide open plays behind you, which it felt like the Ravens were doing in the first half. And it felt like Miami was moving the ball and they were getting a lot of work in. But those turnovers happen because you increase the number of throws that have to happen. You increase the opportunities for them to make mistakes. You allow for all the things that happen to happen in those instances. And Marcus Williams did a phenomenal job on that first interception of baiting Tua into throwing it to a spot where he thought he could go and get the ball. Give yourself those opportunities, right? And that opportunity isn't there. Make them make the hard play. Make them make the hard catch. Make them do it again and again and again. And yeah, sometimes like the Gazicki touchdown is going to happen. And that was a phenomenal throw, a phenomenal catch, and a phenomenal play. But make them do that to you four times in a row. Don't let the third and fourth ones be Tyreek Hill just running past your guys one-on-one and being the guy that's wide open on those plays. Yeah, I think I saw someone like joke, joking on Twitter that, oh, you should just, you know, drop nine the coverage like the entire like fourth quarter but i was like honestly like their pass rush wasn't getting there um maybe you should have just been dropping nine into coverage or dropping eight into coverage and and to a certain, certain extent they were but in in those big plays where they were beat over the top it wasn't that they were trying to you know do things that were you know a little bit more aggressive um and they got beat um and and that's you know, it kind of harkens back to what we saw last year. It's disappointing that we have to deal with the same kind of situation again, but hopefully, you know, it's it's going to be fixed. Um, but I think that does bring to another aspect of this game, which was interesting, or maybe not interesting, disappointing, and that was the pass rush. Um, because I think after last week, the, the Ravens were just kind of pressuring at will against, you know, a New York Jets offensive line that was probably a little, you know, undermanned, um, but the Dolphins were not really considered to be, you know, one of the top offensive lines. And, you know, early on, the Ravens were able to get some pressure in this game, but I think I saw the Dolphins do some different things um, in, the, in the second half in terms of how they were pass blocking, and it kind of shut down the Ravens' pass rush entirely, and they were just out of options. And I saw some Brent Urban on the edge, you know, <laughs> I don't think that worked very well. It was And having two true outside linebackers, on the, on the roster at this point, I think is a bit of an issue. And I don't know if they're going out to pick up anybody, but it's it's a problem and I don't see an immediate solution for it. Yeah, it's actually a very real problem if they get, you know, and, and you talked a little bit about dropping eight and nine. And I think on the touchdown pass to Gazicki, they dropped nine. It was it nine. was a rush too, and they yep. still complete the play. Now, again, you got to make a really challenging and tough throw in that instance. And I would still rather make them do that. But 
you know, in those instances, that's what that's what I would do. You know, if you're if you're not going to get there with it, rush to keep your guys fresh. Let those let those be kind of the plays that you have to you have to make it and and see see what kind of holds up from that regard. Because these, you know, there's the Ravens passers was just worn out by the time that they got to the fourth quarter. There weren't enough guys. They weren't getting enough pressure. The ones that were in there were getting tired. Um, and so, you know, it, it does it, it all factors into kind of how the Ravens have to approach that means getting hurt obviously was a big loss in that regard. Malik Harrison gets really no meaningful push on the end. I would put Patrick Queen on the edge. If it was up to like there, like Patrick Queen is not a bad pass rusher. I would, I would let him or at least use kind of like a three man front and let him kind of pick his spot on the inside of the line. Um, get him out of like those pass defenses. But at the end of the day, it's a really big question about what are the Ravens going to do because until until Bowser gets back and until Ajabo is healthy, they're not going to have enough guys. Now it doesn't feel like to be meaningfully able to rotate through their outside edge rushers um, with any kind of success. Yeah, it's tricky. Um, I'm I'm looking at you know the snaps that they were get and like I mentioned Brent Urban was kind of used as mostly a defensive end in this game, um, and he he's better i think as an interior pass rusher when he's on the edge he, he, he can't really use his like size and, and length too much to an advantage um so that's not really an option but it's kind of what the ravens were forced to do um malik harrison he wasn't really used as a pass rusher he was used mostly on run defense and he dropped in the coverage a few times he's he's kind of like your poor man's tyus bowser in a lot of ways um in that sense because he they don't trust him at all as a pass rusher it seems and, and for good reason he's not a pass rusher he's he's a strong side linebacker um and he's he's going to give you some some good reps against the run potentially you would hope um but that's pretty much where he's limited to and then i thought you know after what we saw last week that the interior would provide a little bit more push I, you know i feel like it was pretty quiet in this game comparatively um you know there was a few pass rushes here and there that, you know, Tua was kind of um, under pressure from from Pierce. I think Matt Abike got in there once or twice, and, and I thought Campbell was okay, but, you know, none of these guys really dominated this game like they did last week. Hopefully, you know, getting Travis Jones will, will help, you know, you know, help out that rotation a little bit more, and maybe that will give a little bit more, um, I guess, oomph to this pass rush, but they just need to find a body, and, and I don't know who that's going to be. I think that the Ravens' pass rush played better in the first two and three quarters than given credit for. The, the, the Miami had outlets when pressure was coming for ways for Tua to get rid of the ball quickly. And in those circumstances, when those things were happening, the Ravens had figured it out. That's why through the latter half of the second quarter and early in the third quarter, there wasn't a whole lot going on for Miami. It was once that pass rush lost its juice, then they didn't have to check to that first option, get the ball out quickly and they were completely worn out, and there wasn't a secondary guy getting there. And so I don't know what the Ravens have to do to kind of keep those guys rotationally healthy. Again, means means being hurt significantly had an impact on kind of what the results of those were. So it's really, like, it becomes difficult in those circumstances to criticize. But you've got to have a game plan going in knowing, okay, what happened? Like, we're only going to have two genuine offensive or outside linebackers here. What are we going to do if these guys ultimately get hurt and we're not going to get pressure? I thought Pierce played a particularly good game. Matt Abige did not have as nearly as splashy of a game as he did against the Jets, and nor did Calais Campbell. So I think those, and those are going to come and go, and you're going to have great games and not. But it was disappointing when, and gee, how many times have we heard this? There's a backup offensive line. Greg Little, former Raven, Greg Little, playing right tackle. I think he was a Raven. He was only on their practice squad for a minute. Like, backup right tackle for, I may be wrong about that. Um, now you're making me second guess that. Um... <laughs> But back up Ray Tackle and no exploitation on the Ravens' part to take advantage of that guy, right? And so we've long said that the Ravens have had this problem. Like at Kansas City a few years ago, the re- like the starting right guard out like ends up like Ravens make no bones about it. You know, don't make any impact about it. We've seen this happen before. They've got to be able to attack in those circumstances and take advantage of those weaknesses with whatever whatever way they're going to do that. And again, maybe Steve Means not playing was a part of that, um, but it wasn't just. You know, quite frankly, not good enough. Yeah, and I, I, I I'm going to go back to something that I mentioned earlier, but I also think that the the Dolphins' offense had a pretty good approach in this game. You know, they had some ball out quick um, to try and alleviate some of the pass rush issues. Some some nice play action that they used, I think, early on to kind of help diminish the pass rush a little bit. Um, and and that's how they got some of the quick hitters 
um, that picked up yards. And then, you know, there's a lot of just, like, open underneath passing, like, like you said. And, and at times the Ravens were able to rally up and make those plays, but sometimes they weren't as, as good in, that, in those situations. And, you know, all it takes is one missed tackle when you, when you have some of those explosive guys underneath, whether it's, you know, you're running, the running back that the Dolphins had out there. I think it was, I think Mostert had a, a few kind of chunk, well, not made out chunk yards, but a few nice pickups in, in the, in the passing game for them. And, and also, you know, their tight ends had some of those short yards games and it was just, it was difficult to, you know, cover all those options, I think. And, you know, the, the Dolphins, to their credit, have one of the better, I think, you know, offensive weapon units in, in the NFL. Like, you have two elite kind of wide receivers between Waddle and Hill. I mean, the numbers they put up are insane. They're like kind of video game numbers. Um, and, you know, they're not going to do that every week to every team. But it's it's something that, you know, is going to be a real challenge, I think, for most teams. Um, and the Ravens just kind of got caught in a bad situation where they had lost a lot of their depth at cornerback so they had to kind of go soft and in, 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 in a lot of the defensive schemes and they're just I don't I don't think they had an answer frankly and that kind of was proven out over the course of the game yeah you know at the end of the day the defense has got to get healthy they've got to get some of these communications figured issues figured out and at some point it's just like if if you, you know you're going to be deficient in terms of, like, pass rush or certain areas, if you know you're not going to have the health of the guys that you want, you even if you're giving a little bit away, you've got to simplify what you're doing, make it easier for the guys for what they... Like, don't ask them to do too much or more than what they're capable of. And really, you're only asking the defense not to get beat, right? Because... And we can talk about the offense next, but at the end of the day, all that was really being asked of this team was don't give up 21 points in a quarter, when on the other side, your offense is trying to run out the clock, right? Like, just give them a couple more possessions. Make them kick a field goal. Make them do anything. I mean, any one of those iterations in this, you know, in that fourth quarter is is not too much to ask for a defense that's going to rush three or four, play cover two shell, play man-to-man, and just let, them, like, let those guys get out and go out and play. And if they get beat, they get beat, but it's going to take time against those kind of things. You're not going to pop big old touchdowns against that kind of thing. You're going to get double deep coverage when those kind of things happen. You know, you can say in single high or a robber, but just you got to simplify in those circumstances. And hopefully the Ravens figure out that they've got a genuinely explosive offense and that they don't need to be asking their defense to go out and win these games um, at the same time. And, you know, I do think that there was a little bit of Mike McDonald's feeling that the pressure wasn't getting home during the fourth quarter against Tua. And then, and that's when it started to feel like the tweaks started to come. And it seemed like McDaniel knew exactly the kind of things that the Ravens were going to try and had counters already stacked up and built in ready to go. And you throw in a couple blown coverages and it, it's all gone in an instant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. I think that's pretty much a good summation of what happened. Um, and, you know, this isn't, this is another game where the, the Ravens, they didn't, you know, they got out-snapped quite a bit um, in terms of, like, the number of plays that they were, they were run. And, you know, that happens when you have a return touchdown as well. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a return touchdown. But when you – I think the Ravens had 50 – yeah, they had 54 offensive snaps and the Dolphins had 69 offensive snaps. And that's not penalties included. But also, you know, lost the time of possession by about nine minutes. So, you know, in the past, the Ravens have been on the opposite side of those things. And – especially when you have a team that's that's short on corners, that's short on outside linebackers, you're getting some of that, like, wear down, you know, some of that bit of tiredness, frankly, on, on the defense. And I think that's part of the reason why we saw a collapse there. So, you know, yeah. it's one of those things. It's, it's a bad kind of everything kind of coming together in the, in the wrong way in a game that should have been easily won, and, and it just it wasn't. Well, this is an offense that is, or this is a team that is built around time of possession, that cares about time of possession, that calls and structures what they want to try and do on game days around time of possession. We've heard Harbaugh and we've heard Greg Roman talk about it. And so we're going to talk about the offense a little bit. I mean, that's that's the area that's been a deficiency for this offense. You know, we can we can start with the running game and just in general and say it's been trash this year <laughs> they've just they, they've not blocked effectively they've not run effectively when the blocking is there and they've not done anything from a play call perspective to alleviate some of the obvious pieces of what they're going to do and you can 
if Greg Roman is such a good run game caller, right? If he's so genius in what he does with the running game, why does he need all these jumbo packages to do it? Why can't he do those same exact things with less stack boxes, with more space, let these guys do what some of those things are and and make an adjustment because the rest of the, I don't think the league has figured it out. I think the league has figured out that they can overplay to Roman's strength and that he won't counter it in the moments that he has to. Yeah, I mean, so there's a couple of things there that I think are important. And one is that the Ravens, in short yardage in particular, I think, and, and this is mostly a great Roman thing. Like, he thinks that we're going to play smash round football. We're going to bring in three, two fullbacks and three tight ends or whatever it is. And we're just going to, like, slam it down their, their throat and we're going to pick up the first down. That didn't work at all in this game. It, it was just <laughs> a complete, complete failure. And, they, and, and the way that they got the short yardage, you know, conversions was Mark Andrews doing a quarterback sneak it was Patrick Ricard on a fullback dive and it was a uh, first and goal play action that was like the easiest touchdown you'll ever see I'm more interested in that play action play because that's the reason why you have you know heavy packages on the field especially in short yardage because you can take advantage of the tendencies that you have of running the ball on short yardage and you have wide open fullback you have two wide open tight ends because the defense is so drawn in that they and they expect you to run the ball that you have the opportunity to throw to wide open player that's what greg rubin should be doing now and i hope that he uses it much more regularly as the season progresses because when you put all those guys on the field and they bring nine and ten guys into the box on defense if you're running into that you're an idiot at this point especially because your blockers are not the blockers that you used to have you don't have marshall yonda out there you don't have nick boyle out there you don't have ronnie stanley out there you have josh oliver and you have Patrick McCurry, and you have Ben Powers, and they're getting blown off the ball. Like, these are not, like, guys who are winning at the point of attack. And Tyler seeing... Linderbaum, also not winning at the point of attack. Yeah, he's, he's not, like, he's good out in the in the open space and, like, on pulls. And uh, I think we saw him last week on screen being very good in that. But his, he's not going to win, like, you know, pushing at the point of attack. That's not his game. So you have to adapt to the players you have. And... Frankly, this is where Grigorim has failed the most. And and we see some of these plays, and they're like long developing kind of run plays where the blocks have to be like kind of like perfectly executed. And the blocks are not being executed. They're getting destroyed by guys creating penetration, and, and the run this game is being like, you know, negative play here, negative play there, pick up a one yard. And like, it is just not the situation that you want, especially not, not just in, in short yardage, but whether it's first and 10 short yardage. Anytime you have this runs out heavy, it, it's, it's not working. So that has to be completely reimagined. Look around the NFL. You see teams like the Packers. You see teams like the Rams, like the Bills, whatever team it is. There's a lot of very efficient running teams. They're all running out of spread. They're running out of 11 personnel, running out of 12 personnel. And if they have 12 personnel, it's like one of them is like a Mark Andrews type, like good like receiving type. And the defense is spread out. They have like six guys in the box, and you get an easy layup five yards every single time. And why the Ravens haven't figured that out is is just unbelievable. Like you don't have the personnel to be running heavy. You don't have the blockers. You you have to pivot. What's what's mind-boggling about this is that the Ravens have actually pivoted, just not in those moments. The Ravens have gone into heavy and they've thrown the ball an exceptional amount. Like that, I I, um, I retweeted it, so you've got to go find the graph on Twitter. I'm at Raven Sit Room. It's two S's. The Ravens' heavy personnel packages all the way to the left. There's nobody else around there, but their expected efficiency in passing plays is all the way at the top, right? Because when the Ravens are in those packages, all teams are doing is selling out whole stop to stop the run every time because they think it's coming, right? Okay, you've done it, Greg Roman. You've convinced everybody that you're going to run the ball every damn time. You don't have to do that anymore, right? And you're already seeing the dividends of that paying off in that process. And yet in these moments where you have four, conse- five consecutive tries, <laughs> you know, inside the one to do this, and you do the exact same thing every single time. Instead of trying to throw the ball once, inside instead of using motion once, I think I think on that play inside the one, I don't even think that there was a motion backer other than when 
Lamar went, went, came back and then came up to the line. And I think he moved Mike Davis from, like, the left to the right side one of those times and, like, moved him up. But there was no – there's no deception. There's no attempt to try and get anybody off balance. There's no attempt to do any of that. And you're right. If they're not going to move him off the ball, it's not going to work. And doubling that down on that, if teams are just going to sell out to, on the run, it's going to work because that's what happened with that touchdown. Like, literally, Patrick Ricard could have taken the ball – that was going right over his head, smacked it up in the air 10 yards, and Mark Andrews still would have been able to catch it, and there would have been nowhere, no one near him on that play. And, and when you see that on film, which everybody saw on the broadcast version of the film, right? So the coaches should have seen that on the film. How do you not run a play-action pass every single game, every single snap for the rest of the game? Yeah, I mean, when you have, like, a first and 10 and you bring in the heavy package, that should be what you do. It doesn't have to be a shot over the top. It can be, like, you know, a leak out and like, or a wide receiver screen or something, something where you get, like, an easy 10 to 15 yards. And I'm, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. It's still week two. You know, they're putting things on tape. They're maybe building tendencies at this point, and maybe, you know, this is something that they can take advantage of. You've already mentioned that they've taken advantage of being able to pass out of heavy. We saw the shot to... Rashad Bateman uh, last week, that was a huge um, touchdown pass. That was out of heavy. The, there was a big pass play to Mark Andrews where he got tackled at, like, the one-inch line. That was also out of out of the heavy package. I think it was 22 personnel. So, like, they are using that to their advantage in some, you know, passing situations. And that's obviously, like, great to see. But if you keep running out of it in, like, the obvious, like, second and one, third and one, and failing, or third and two, like – that was what happened in the fourth quarter of this game. When when they had the ball, they were moving it down the field. They were in the Dolphins' territory. They were out on the 40-yard line. They had a third and two. They failed to pick it up on the on the ground. And they do that. Lamar Jackson kind of hope he finds a spot and like dives through it. And like they just there wasn't anywhere for him to go. Like they had nine blockers in there, and nobody was doing the right block. Apparently, <laughs> they were just getting pushed backwards. And like. I wish that, you know, maybe Lamar Jackson was a little better at being able to sneak it under center because we tried that once in this game and it didn't work. We saw Mark Andrews do that and it worked better. Maybe, you know, there needs to be something that we can work on there so that you can get maybe some push there in, like, the A-gap or something. But if, if teams are kind of compacting that area, you have to have a pivot to win on a fourth down. I mean, there has to be something. Maybe you can pass the ball on fourth down, like, do something that is actually unexpected and spread them out instead of bringing eight guys inside the box. Do, at least create some space for yourself. Just run play action. Just, just, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I agree with you completely. You and I, you know, I agree with what you're saying, but like, we don't even have to go that far, right? Like of, of the, what, like eight different snaps that we saw, like, and short situations, like, look, if anybody wants an entertaining follow on Twitter, every time the Ravens are in second and short, I'm going to tweet at Gabe, and I'm going to ask him if he thinks the Ravens are going to run the ball because 98% of the time, the Ravens in those situations are going to run the ball. Um, and they're, they're huge opportunities for shot plays that have, that are there and the Ravens have to start taking them. They have to start letting those things get loosened up. Their guys are only going to become better in the scheme if they're doing those kind of things overall, if, if the Ravens put them at their best advantage and look, sure. If you're running the ball down everybody's throat and you're winning at the point of attack on the regular, great. Then you're winning on the point of the attack on the regular, go for it. Right? Like you said, this is not the personnel. It's not been the success so far from what we're seeing this year. It is a huge thing, in my opinion, to watch whether Greg Roman is able to adjust in those situations or not um, successfully. Because I think at the end of the day, I I think there might actually finally be a, a clock ticking over Greg Roman's time with the Ravens, which is that if they continue to run the same scheme in the same way with the same personnel and it continues not to work. So if Stanley comes back, they can rotate Cleveland in, they can bring Nick Boyle back, and if they can start running the ball down everybody's throats and doing it that way, so be it, right? But if they come back and they're not doing it anymore, I don't know what it is that you're keeping Greg Roman around for. And it's not that you have to change the install of anything in the offense. You just have to change the way you're calling the plays. Yeah, and I just want to, you know, go back to one quick point real quick. When you're in, like, whatever, third and short, okay, third and, sec third and two, I think we saw maybe – three or four times this game, third and short, and the Ravens failed to convert every single one. They're all run plays. Pass the ball on third and short. You're allowed to pass the ball on third and short. Like, whether it's play action or just, you know, a normal, like, 
drop back or shotgun snap, Lamar has proven more than capable of finding the open receiver throughout this game. Like, he was carving the Dolphins up. And and to credit O'Grey Roman, he was, I think, they called a really good offensive passing game. Like, there were open receivers very frequently. I mean, we saw DuVernay catch a couple great passes over the middle. Obviously, Bateman had a, a few very easy catches. Um, likely, Andrews. Like, they all were getting open on a regular basis for, for Jackson, and he was hitting them. Like, there's no reason why you have to go to this run play when it's not working. And, like, it's a stubbornness thing, I think, with, with Roman. And he's, like, hardwired to be, like, third and short, we're going to run the ball. Fourth and short, we're going to, you know, run the ball. Like, you don't have to do it. We're going to do, do the exact same thing we just did. <laughs> yeah, and, like, just learn from your mistakes. And, and thankfully, you know, on that first and goal to Andrews, like, that was a really in play-action play. Like, he learned from the failure the first time down and, and called the right play on, on first and goal. And you just have to use that type of thinking again and, and realize that there there are other ways to, to uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know. It's just, it's so frustrating to see them be so bad at something that is, and it's so obvious to everybody watching what they're doing. They're like, it's just like everybody in the entire universe knows that it's going to be a, a third down run and it fails over and over again. I'm just sick and tired of it. Yeah, I think we're all frustrated by it, and hopefully, you know, like I said, I, I think the whole team has to be frustrated by it, and we're, we, it's not just fans that are seeing it, and they're not just fans having that conversation, and at some point, an evolution is going to have to happen, or I think the Ravens would make a move, and again, you're getting into franchise tag territory with Lamar, or, you know, 200 plus million guaranteed, which is what he's asking for, the Ravens are going to have to pay it. They're they're going to they're they're going to pay it eventually, one way or the other. Whether it's through the tag and then after that, or whether it's through a contract now, it's going to soak up a ton of the cap now. Like, and there's not even a lot more flexibility on this year's cap to like make a Marcus Peters like addition um, in 2022 to this team. So what does that mean? That means that you've got to take advantage of the opportunities that you have in front of you and rolling it out with Greg Roman doing the same exact thing thing again. I just I think at some point the the tolerance lack is 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 not going to be the lack of tolerance is going to the tolerance lack the lack of tolerance is going to reach a point where they're not going to be able to write it out anymore. And Harbaugh Harbaugh does a good job of in his defense. He has let coordinators go in the moments that he thinks that he needs to because he thinks that there's an opportunity to grow. Um, but there were some good things from this offense too, and I think that you know we want to <laughs> we want to uh, let me just backtrack and and let's just talk about one more negative thing before we get away <laughs> from it, which is that the Ravens have got to stop these pitch plays in the backfield, particularly these pitch plays out of pistol. Like they just. It's one thing to like run to the right and like be pitching back to the left as like a fake option and getting outside of the blitz and the guy who's going to crash down because he's he doesn't want he wants to take the angle away from Lamar potentially or whatever that looks like things like that, but like this like little soft toss pitch play when their tackles are getting beat on those plays is just it's got to stop. Yeah, that play is doomed to failure and like you have to have it blocked up perfectly then it can be like a very big game but they're not blocking it well. There, there's someone who's getting beat, whether it's a tight end, you know, Josh Oliver, who's not the best blocker, who's getting blown off the ball. Um, you know, we've seen, I think, the tackles get beat a few times. Um, and if it's as soon as that one guy penetrates, it's over. And there's just too much distance for that running back to get to the edge. And so he's having to cut up field, and then by that time, the, the whole defense is rallied to the ball, and it's, it's a lost cause. And that, those plays are just too difficult to execute um, the, with the current personnel that the Ravens have um so yeah that, that's one last thing just stop with this play it's just it's ugly every single time and, and the Ravens running back talent right now is just not good enough for it it, it just it just isn't I, I guess the one thing that I would say is that look if J.K. Dobbins and Edwards come back and they're healthy based on you know what we've historically seen and and I don't mean that like immediately but by like week eight or week nine or week ten like post by they've gotten their legs under them and they figured out what that looks like Gus Edwards is a guy that I trust in some of these situations of these short down pickups. It's going to go get those yards and he's going to figure out a way to convert it. There are, there is, there is talent on the way that can convert some of those situations. So this guy is not completely falling in that regard, but you get into big playoff games 
and you get into big situations where there's going to be some predictability around that and there are going to be good linebackers on the other side that also win in terms of defensive stops against guys like Edwards and that's where you're going to have to elevate your play calling game um, and figure out a way to put him in a position to win those situations um, or or continue to lose them and do the same thing over and over again. So, but we have seen we have seen some adjustments, right? Yeah. And so the whole narrative, you know, I, I I also tweeted about this during the game because I thought that the narrative was silly and tired that Lamar couldn't beat the Dolphins against the cover zero looks um, that they were throwing against him last year. I thought the play calls weren't great. There were a lot of drops. I thought there was not a lot of kind of good coordination between Lamar and his receivers. And in this game, we saw them come in with a really well-designed game plan against the defense that they knew the other team was going to run because uh, we saw it last week against New England and they were really effective in it and how they attacked it. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we talked about it earlier a little bit. Um, you brought it up again. The the, the Miami defense is, is a pretty blitz-heavy defense. They, they came after Lamar in this one as well, and he really carved them up. And a lot of it was uh, due to Lamar and a good game plan, um, I think, by Greg Roman as well. So give him credit for that. I think, you know, they used some some pass blockers that were a little different. Um, we, one of the first plays that drew my attention was, I think it was the first kind of quick out to Bateman. And, and I think the Dolphins had brought like seven or eight players on the list, including the corner who was on Bateman. And you had likely kind of motioning across the formation. And he, he stopped in, in the backfield and picked up a blitzer coming through the A-gap. Um, and that was a really nice way to kind of use someone who's basically seen as like a receiving threat only and taking him out of that role, putting him into block, um, and giving Lamar time to pick up the easy completion to Bateman. And that was a nice play right out the gate. Um, that was the, the first offensive drive, and it got off to a great start. Um, there was, a, you know, a, some nice blocking by likely on a few other plays. Um, there was Justice Hill, who was actually given the most snaps of any running back for the Ravens in this, which was kind of surprising to me because he hasn't really been used that heavily, not only throughout his tenure as, as a Raven, but in, in this this year, in, in the first game. Um, but he was used frequently as a, as a pass blocker, 10 pass blocking snaps for Justice Hill, and he did well. Um, so they were keeping in an extra blocker in a lot of these plays as a way to kind of counteract that, that um, blitz heavy of defense by Miami. And... Lamar was able to, you know, use that extra time and find the open receiver in some of the basic kind of like zones that Miami was playing behind them because they were leaving receivers open to to make those plays. And it was kind of the same thing that Miami was doing to us, except it was even more downfield attacking. Like most of these passes were 15, 20 yards downfield. And I was picking up chunk plays. So good on the Ravens, good on Lamar, good on Greg Roman for scheming that up. If they can fix the short yard stuff, I think this offense is going to be cooking with gas. Well, and the other part about it is that, you know, there was a lot of talk about Lamar putting on muscle and whether or not his frame was going to be able to handle that. And I think he reached his, like, top speed or his third top speed on that touchdown run. Absolutely blazed through the defense. If you spread these guys out, if you spread these guys out and you give Lamar meaningful space and lanes to run through them instead of asking him to navigate his way through guys that are standing at arm's length apart from each other, um, crowded into space, he's going to carve up these defenses with his legs as well. Like, if you put these guys into kind of these spread formations and you start attacking them that way, it's very clear that Lamar still has got the juice, he's got the speed, he's got the vision, um, and that those opportunities are still going to be there for this team. Yeah, and I think that's where Lamar is most dangerous. And maybe, I mean, in, a, in a certain situations, if you get him in the right play call with the right blocking, obviously he can take it to the house. We saw that in this game. We've seen it in games years past where, you know, the defense kind of has all the guys around the line of scrimmage and, and it's blocked up perfectly and Lamar goes for, like, whatever, 50, 60 yards. Obviously those players are, plays are great when they happen. But we've seen it not work a lot as well. And that's the dangerous, you know, roll of dice when you do that because if it's not blocked properly, then you might not convert on that play. So it's something that... You know, we have, we have to be, I think, wary of both sides. I would rather lean on the side of Lamar in space and not having to, you know, have it perfectly blocked every single time for him to get big chunk plays. I think he did some nice things as a scrambler in this game as well on, on a couple of times. You know, he saw the, the green in front of him and was able to pick up some yardage that way as well. And that's something that 
I think he can continue to do, um, obviously, as, as someone who's so uniquely gifted with, with his running ability. Um, but he obviously can, you know, find players downfield kind of at will when they're open as well. So he's he, he needs to be the focal point of this and needs to be a passing first approach. And I think we've seen some of that this year. We've seen more passing on first down, which is something that I'm encouraged by. And I think it's definitely opening up the offense. And, you know, the play action that we talked about, just, I think there is a lot of hope for this offense moving forward, especially as we get those players back, Dobbins, Stanley, Boyle. I think it can only go up from here. So I'm going to leave on this optimistic note of saying, you know, the Ravens did some very good things in this. Rashad Bateman played a great game. Mark Andrews played a great game. I thought the offensive line pass blocking was very good. Justice Hill, we mentioned, pass blocking very good. Maybe seeing him in the mix a little bit more as a runner, too. A lot of good things to take away. So... Don't mess up on defense as much. Be better in short yardage. Wins. It happens. And even if you do one of those things, just the Ra- if the Ravens were good on short yardage twice in this game instead of once, right? Like stop the Dolphins when you could basically be in a prevent defense one of three different times, it would have been fine. Um, you, you know, the one other thing that I'd say that is optimistic about this team is that it is very clear that Bateman, Andrews, Duvernay, Likely, and Robinson are good enough of a, of a combination of wide receiver for this team to go far. Um, that they, They've got those pieces in place. Yes, if one of them were to get injured and we'll see what happens with Duvernay, um, that would be bad. But I think Prochet as a guy that can get back from injury, as a guy that can fill in there, um, and based on what we were seeing from the preseason, could be good enough. And so I think you've got a solid enough core there together. The, the trick is that, and I, I don't mean to take us back in a negative, but I think this stat is fascinating. Non, not like running backs, running backs and fullbacks for the Ravens who have rushed the ball have a total of 79 yards, which is the total long distance of Lamar's long 79-yard touchdown run um, through two games. So that is, that is not going to be good enough. I think there were opportunities there. For, I think there were opportunities for bo- both Drake and Hill in these past two games who have done better. It's pretty clear that Mike Davis is not going to get it done, and he's going to need to find his way to the bench. Um, so it will be it is definitely going to be interesting to see what happens next. I think J.K. Dobbins is back next week. I think there's no way that they're going to. He'll be on a pitch count, but I think they've got it. They know that they need to get him back out there. I think Travis Jones will be out there. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Ravens do at outside linebacker because they cut. Um, Fackrell from um, the practice squad, so they've only got uh, Jeremiah Moon left. Um, so I think it, it, it's going to be an interesting evolution there, but I agree with you. It's a good week to be against the New England Patriots. They should be able to get this kind of all straightened out. Um, I think it'll be... Have you seen the line of this game? I think that'll be an interesting development you know, as well. I, I haven't looked yet. I, I would imagine the Ravens are favored, um, but I, it's probably not as big as what might have been if, if this game hadn't gone so ugly. Um, I, th- I think two, two weeks in a row, the Ravens have given up a lot of yards on offense. Um, and that's that's something to definitely keep our eyes on. But the, the Patriots do, definitely don't have an explosive offense. They have, you know, a, a quarterback who's a little bit limited as well, and, and they don't have, you know, the weapons that, that the Dolphins have. So I would expect the Ravens to kind of be a significant favorite um, just in terms of like at least the way I'm viewing it, so I, I don't really I, I would be surprised if it's if it's a close game. Let me put it that way against the against the Patriots. So um, yeah, I, I, there's a lot to clean up. Um, it'll be interesting to see about the outside linebacker. That's the thing that I think I'm most interested in. Is there a trade out there that they they can pursue? Um, it, it might be you have to look at the cap space obviously at this this t- stage because the Ravens are always up against it um, but there's some things you can potentially do to move around money there's always something there so I'm, I'm hopeful that you know there might be an addition you know if, it, if it's waiting a couple more weeks and hoping that Ty Spouser is ready to go at least that's something but and in the end you know I, I think there's more things to look forward to um, reinforcements you know improvements to 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 the scheme that seem like they're they're easy to make potentially and i think we just have to kind of build on on this and remember week two 15 more games it's it, it's going to go up and ronnie stanley too i think ronnie stanley yeah. and travis jones and jk dobbins will play in this game so um and, and nick Boyle's going to come back at some point i don't have high expectations at this point because 
they're saying he's healthy, but they're still not playing him. So, you know, that makes me wonder whether or not they don't think he's just going to be effective. Um, but there are they're, they're reinforcements on the way. Hopefully Marlon gets healthy. Peters gets off his snap count, continues to, to see some of those improvements. These guys learn. They're, the arrow is still pointing up on this team. And the arrow would have been pointing up even if they had ultimately lost this game or won this game against Miami. And even if they would have won this game against Miami, you know, 38 to 21 instead of losing it, um, you know, I, I, I think that the arrow still would have said, based on who was coming back, there were big opportunities. So take an opportunity, follow us on Twitter. He's at Gabe Fergie, Gabe Ferguson. Um, I'm at Raven Sit Room. We're trying to talk a little bit about Ravens, get some ideas and posts out there for you guys. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you guys next time in the Situation Room. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.